Kia ora, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A Tardis of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. Welcome to another week. So we again skipped a skipped a week last week for health reasons. I was, you know, is it a cold? Is it COVID? What is it? We yeah. don't know. Disease. Yeah. It's winter times in New Zealand. We haven't had the world's germs for a couple of years, so and you can't hack it. Yeah, they're all trying to cram in at once. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, it's colds on colds on colds at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're back. We are. And excited and pumped. Yeah, me too. Great well, episode. Yeah, yeah. Double. double. Coming back in with mm. a double. I know. So what has been happening in the last two weeks in your world, my I've friend? I've been very busy. There's just a lot going on. Um, miscellaneous annoyance just at men. Even just coming to record this and we were in the lift and the man just wouldn't get out of the way when the doors opened. He just stood in the middle of the, the doorway and I'm like, why are you like this? Why have you got no spatial awareness? Don't you think when the doors open it means someone wants to get out? But no. No, you're just going to stand there. Okay, cool. I tried pushing him. He didn't move. And even then they looked shocked. And then I was like, just a slight touch on, on his bag with my bag and still not moving. And then I have to be like, excuse me. And they always look shocked. Always. Like, oh, what? You, I, ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. What? <laughs> Um, yeah, and just men with opinions, right? Lots of opinions today. Good Lord, have there been opinions today. So, yeah, that's been fine. How about you? Other than your illness? Yeah, which turned out not to be COVID, just for record, still uh, <laughs> footloose and COVID-free. Um, one of the few in our office to, to not get the big runner, knowingly at least, anyway. Yeah, so kind of, yeah, had a bit of a shit time just stuck at home with a bit of a coldy mm. sniffle, which is a bit rubbish. But, yeah, not exposed to annoying office men. And really, that's about it. Like, just generally, yeah, just been busy, just mm-hmm. been trucking along. Yeah, it's getting to that point of the year, mm. right, where it's just, like, all downhill from here. So. Oh, what, we literally came back from Christmas holidays in, like, January, and we're like, why does it feel like we need Christmas again? I know. And we're, like, limping along. It's August, finally. But yet, still so much to do, which is annoying. <sighs> yeah, yeah, and that's good. Like, happy to be occupied and busy, have to be employed, all those things. But also just, like, mentally kind of bit. Tired. Yeah. Well, let's cheer ourselves up to talk about this episode. So I'll do the summary. When a spaceship crashes in the middle of the London Blitz, the Doctor, Rose, and the enigmatic Captain Jack Harkness find themselves investigating a plague of physical injuries and a little boy in a gas mask. Soon, a gas mask zombie plague is spreading across war-torn London. So, yeah, we're discussing The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, which is episode 9 and 10. Yes. Dances. Dances? I would say... I would say... Dance. Really just depends what day you get me on how I pronounce it. Dance dances. Yeah. I feel like I'd be doing a bit of a northern bit if I do dances. Like dance. ooh, ooh, like a dance. Cute. <laughs> okay, well let's start off with the big tail test. So I think this might be our first no. We've already had a no. Oh fuck off, have we? Yeah, oh. the museum one with the Dalek. Garlic. Oh yeah, that one, the very tox mask one. Sorry, yeah, I just put trauma blank to that out. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I think this one. Actually, despite having women in it, yeah, no, I think it's because yeah, Nancy and Rose never really talked to each other. No, and they're like the only main named female characters. Mm-hmm. Nancy, I think, has like a one-sided conversation with one of her little girl orphans. Yeah, that does not count. No, but yeah, I think Rose and Nancy never end up talking. No, in this, which you know, it's quite on point for Mister Moffat. Yeah, so despite this being a double episode and an hour and a half of screen time, mm. the women not talking to women. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Interesting to note that. Overall episode thoughts? Oh, mate. Okay. So, 
after our last, after our first double episode experience with the Slovene, I felt a little bit like, oh god, because that was a that was a bit of a, a slog, a, yeah, a shrug. But this was kind of good. Like, mm, I say good, not my favorite episode. I find it quite creepy. Mm. I don't like the child. Like yeah. the whole, the specifically the, the gas mask face transformation yeah, thing yeah, yeah. is really fucking weird. The physical, like literally, like coming, like, coming out, out yeah. and then yeah. This is the one when I was saying to you that I remember being when I first watched this being quite terrified. Like yeah. the first time I watched this, it's like I was actual like, creepiness. Oh, yeah, but now yeah. of course knowing what happens, it's not as scary. But like the first time was proper freaky, and like the gas mask, like it's proper horror movie shit, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah coming like, out, of and the especially face. body horror, which I don't like. So. And I feel that this is quite weird for like, you know, it's when it came out originally, nominally a children's show mm. and definitely played at kind of like a children's viewing time. Like this wasn't not at like 9pm. Mm-hmm. This was way pre-Watershed, you know, the broadcasting mm-hmm. Watershed. So yeah, I think they've been quite strong with the creepiness. And that makes me think of like my mom growing up watching OG Doctor Who back mm. in the 70s, late 60s and being like, it actually used to terrify me. Yeah. So like, it's cool that they are kind of playing with that still. Yeah. Like it's not being like super safe and fluffy. By a long shot. Yeah, so episode set in London during the Blitz, mm-hmm. um, Second World War. My notes are, these are creepy apps, creepy child <laughs> and a gas mask. But importantly, it is the first appearance of Captain Jack Hartness, our bisexual adventurer. Pansexual, I believe he identifies as. Yeah. Not yeah. that it matters. Same, same. So I, Captain Jack, sidebar, forgotten that he turned up this early mm. in Who?, and I've forgotten how Slash didn't appreciate, I think, the first time round, how actually young he is. I know, he looks so, so young. I did a wee John Barrowman Google, mm. who was in fact 38-ish. Yeah. And so now we're early to mid-30s. And I remember him being old at the time and being like, oh, he's kind of fun, kind of like, oh, flirty as a teenager, but also being like, ew, old man. <laughs> But now I'm like, he's like fucking young. He also looks like young, young. Like he yeah, always says, yeah, like yeah. A, he looks like a Ken doll in a good way. Yeah, mm. he is very classically kind of. Oh, he's like, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> like 1950s kind of heroy vibes, but yeah. also into dudes, which I love, like subvert that. Yeah, I do love the subversion and the like how he is just flirty with everyone and everything. It is quite lovely. He is quite problematic. Yeah. Like Jack has always been problematic, but yeah, I think some of this has not aged particularly well. But I will say that I love these episodes. I just like love the, this these two episodes have some of the best one-liners that we've yeah. had all season and ones that have stuck with me for years. Like my friend and I will still say to each other, "Bananas are good." <laughs> I'm trying to resonate concrete. Like it's just so funny. The whole tone shifts with Jack being there. It's, yeah. like, funner, it's faster, it's zippier. Mm. I just really appreciate that. It's like, oh, yeah, this is why... Like, I remember watching these episodes and being like, yeah, okay, I'm on board now. I think before I was kind of like, mm, I don't know about who, but these really converted me. And then, of course, I went straight into Torchwood because I was like, <laughs> this is the vibe I want. Yeah, which is a quite different tone, eh? Yeah. Hmm, cool, interesting. Um, yeah. So, do you have a discussion question for us? Uh, I do. This may be a fairly kind of on-the-nose one, but I think there's a lot to unpack. Mm. So I've gone with motherhood. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, Empty Child specifically, you get introduced to this weird, creepy child who's like following people around, and if he touches you, then you become, you know, emptyified. They don't really know what's going on. Like Nancy and her band of, you know, she's kind of like the Artful Dodger leading this <laughs> yeah. band of orphans, Nick and shit. Um, in a survivalist way. I love that line that was like, not sure if this Marxism in action or a West End musical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah, so it's like super creepy tone. This kid in a gas mask, well, looks like a child in a gas mask, following everybody around and this constant refrain of, are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? Are you there, mummy? I want my mummy. And then yeah. Yeah, coming through the speakers and everything. It's just Because it can like do stuff. And then as we the episodes progress, we realise that it's not just exclusively this one child. Basically, whatever's happening is anything that that child touches and gets zombified in the same way. And so we have full grown adults mm. doing this continued kind of chorus of, are you my mummy? Are you Which my mummy? Which is not a good time. <laughs> so yeah and then it gets revealed spoilers later in the episode that in fact the original og empty child is explained as nancy's bro- younger brother it is in fact nancy's son mm. who she had as a unmarried teenage mother like that's would have been a shit time so it's the blitz so mm-hmm. that means it's somewhere between september 1940 and like March 41-ish, mm-hmm. April 41. Yeah. So that means that, say that boy was a um, rubbish aging children, but maybe like five or six. Yeah, sure. So she was like mid-30s, a yeah. teenage mother, like with no understatement that would have been a rough time. Mm. And I thought, yeah, cool, let's talk about this in intersecting, you know, the idea of motherhood with feminism mm. um, and specifically, yeah, the, the topics that this episode brings up around like shame and societal pressure yeah and yeah motherhood's a great topic because i feel like it doesn't matter what you do you're gonna get stigmatized like you can't win in this situation if you are a mum you most likely feel that you are failing because you're not a mum in the way that you think society pressures you to be a mum in so like if you have a kid who's maybe neurodivergent or has any kind of needs that are not like inverted commas normal yep. you might feel like you're failing as a mother you might have postpartum depression which will make you feel like you're failing as a mother because you're like why do i not love this child unconditionally straight out of the gate people will be judging the way you do like are you co-parenting are you like co-sleeping are you bottle feeding doesn't matter what you do you're doing it wrong that is horrible if you're a single parent if you're a single mother you're getting judged for that yeah. if you're not a mother <laughs> you're getting judged for that so it's like there is no winning on not the topic a, yeah. of motherhood especially for women mm. well, and even you know anyone well, yeah. that's like anyone female presenting i think will get that like and I, yeah that's my kind of my first note was to just talk about the definition of womanhood isn't motherhood no and it gets so conflated yeah and like i am obviously child-free. I am proudly child-free and I intend to be child-free for the rest of my life. So I've never wanted kids. Like, never. There was never a moment in my life where I was like, oh, maybe I want kids. Like, I've never entertained it. I've always known this about myself. People do not like that. Mm. (laughs) And people will always be like, oh, you know, you won't know true love until you have a child. To which I say I'm also an only child and people be like, don't you get lonely? Don't you want a brother and sister? You can't miss what you don't have. Like, you can't miss it. So, no. I don't think that I won't know true love. Like, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Oh, but you're going to die alone. Spoiler, we all die alone. Like, just having children does not mean you're not going to die alone. Also, the idea that you're gonna, your kids are going to like you is a big assumption. The idea that your kids are going to be there. Like, I live in a different country to my parents. The assumption that you've made that just because you've had children, they're going to look after you when you're old is a big assumption. And you're not guaranteed to like your kids, and your kids aren't guaranteed to like you. So I don't know about that one. Oh, honestly, like, we're going to struggle to fit this into four or five minutes. I have got so many thoughts. So that exact point there. So I think 
to tie to the episode and your good, interesting ideas. Nancy feels his obligation, right? Mm. And it comes across in the episode as, I'm I'm worried about my little brother, I want to look after him. But obviously then it transpires that it's like a motherly instinct. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, feels such a urge to look after him, very common in parenting. Obviously you want to, you know, they're, they're your world, you want to look after mm. your children and protect them. But there is this kind of, like you mentioned there, this idea societally and it differs across the world culture to culture and i think definitely generationally too around the obligations of both parenthood but also the reverse like the Mm. obligation towards your parents of being a child and so i was talking about this actually very recently with a partner and yeah just kind of unpacking that because i feel like i really have like a visceral reaction against the idea that i have an obligation to my parents just because they're my parents Mm -hmm. like i talk about this like with different you know sometimes acquaintances and friends and some people who kind of maybe don't get me and imply that I'm a bit ruthless about that or a Mm. bit cold because I don't think that you know if my parents aren't nice people or they're not providing a value to my life just because they gave birth to me like you can't consent to birth you can't consent to existence Mm. and yeah I appreciate specifically my parents because they did a really good job like they looked after me they cared for me like Mm -hmm. they definitely have and continue to add value to my life so I have a good relationship with them. But for so many people, that's not the case. Yep. But they have this shit, you know, feelings and societal pressure to be like, well, they're your parents, you know, suck it up. Blood's thicker than water. Which is not the quote, right? So it's the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. So the whole point is that actually your found family is more important than the people that you were born being into a relationship with, which is correct. Like, just because someone is related to you, if they are toxic and they treat you like shit and they don't add any value to your life, you do not owe them anything. Like, that is such a nonsense way to go about life. But yeah, there's definitely, like, in some cultures, definitely, I think as well, you know, there's the expectation that you'll look after your elders. Well, and I appreciate that, that I come from, speaking from the privilege of a country where I have a welfare state. Yeah. Like, when I'm old, I don't have to rely exclusively on family members, otherwise I will starve and die alone. There's the state for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am, for context, child-free. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really not sure if I do want kids I'm erring more towards no and I have been for a long time that's another separate point that I don't have forever to decide which fucking sucks but anywho yeah so there's like so many layers of kind of experience here yeah it's interesting I find though when you talk about being child free and especially you see this on like Instagram or TikTok when people like child free accounts Mm. and how upset parents get by this like a lot of parents seem to take it as a personal affront that you do not want children they're like how dare you and I've spoken to another friend who is child free and she says she always says to me that's because they're miserable and they want to drag you down with them they want you to be miserable too and I don't believe that like I think it's just different strokes for different folks like if you love being a parent that's great But it's not for everyone. And I genuinely worry that people just have kids because they think that's what you do. That's the next step. That's just part of like, you're in a relationship. expected milestone. So you have a kid. And have you really thought about what that entails? Because this is a lifelong commitment. It's not just 18 years. I am still a burden upon my parents. (laughs) And also specifically like the the pressure of that kind of like, you talk about, you know, that expected milestone. Mm. When people are deciding really quite young. Like, you know, if you're having children at 25, like. Your brain's not even fully developed yet. No, fucking hell. Like, yeah. Yeah, and especially, like, you know, I my country of origin is quite conservative, and a lot of my cousins and stuff will marry their high school sweethearts straight out of high school. They're, like, 19, 20 getting married. They're having two kids by the time they're 24, and then, inevitably, shock, the relationship falls apart. 
and yeah, like, so I've got cousins who've got three kids and they were on their third marriage. And I'm just like, no judgment. But also, what are you doing? No, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. it's just because society has told you that that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I feel like if they weren't in this conservative environment, they wouldn't make those choices. But they think those are the choices you have to make. They don't realize there are options. Yes. And the, the idea of, you know, like being sold the American dream, you're being sold the, the adulthood dream mm-hmm. of happiness and fulfillment will come from your own family that you've made this idea of the nuclear family which is actually a really fucking recent concept yeah to sell shit yeah to be like you know find a partner settle down probably the focus on it being hetero yeah um well this is the thing yeah because you know loads of people want to in same-sex relationships want to have kids and then they have thousands of hurdles to jump over because like oh no you need a mum and a dad why as long as the kid is raised in a healthy environment by people who love the child what does it matter? Let alone women or even men ha- deciding, actually, I want to raise a child alone. Yeah, Adopting totally. is so much harder if you're a single parent. Or even going through IVF. Like, one of my former colleagues decided she wanted a child, and she, she's always wanted kids. She's not in a relationship. So she just had IVF and had her, a child on her own, which I think is so incredibly strong. You know, strong. Yeah, like, it's a big move. Like, having a kid, it's hard work. It's hard mm. work when you have someone to support you through it. It's even harder when you're on your own those are just facts like it's not an easy thing to do but mm. i will say a lot of women even when they are in relationships end up being solo parents because their partners do not pull their weight and nine times out of ten those partners are men you know i hate yeah. when you're like oh he's babysitting tonight no he is raising his child yeah he's not babysitting i know <laughs> okay so this interesting i'm gonna Remember what my notes were because I feel like we could just talk about this with our just vibes and opinions for so long. So I came across an article in The Guardian from a few years ago, basically talking about this complicated relationship between feminism and motherhood. Mm-hmm. So this article was written by Amy Westervelt. I will put the link in the show notes. But um, I'll just read you a little excerpt. She's saying feminism and motherhood have a complicated relationship. Radical feminist Shulamith Firestone articulated this most starkly in her argument that women would never truly be free of patriarchy until they were freed from the yoke of reproduction. She imagined wistfully a day when babies could be created in mechanical uteruses, freeing women from the physical subjugation of childbirth. Interesting. And I think this ties to exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah, the majority of the child raising, especially when they're very young burden, falls on women because historically and you know to some degree now physically nursing is coming from a woman's body you are physically feeding the Mm. child you need to be within proximity of it yeah it's interesting as well because i was reading this thing about maternal instinct and how it's a myth and it doesn't really exist but how it also does damage because people expect oh you know she's got a maternal instinct and then that puts a barrier between men like fathers and children as well Mm. because they don't get a look in because of that whole like oh well the mum has to take the the main burden right like that's just how it's gonna be she has to do most of the work she's got the maternal instinct blah 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 but Mm. it's not a real thing yeah and there's some level of like suspicion or around like seeing a guy with a child on his own someone i follow on instagram she's like influencer in canada she has a little one with her husband of like a long time and she made a comment recently saying like you know we try and share the the parenthood tasks as much as we can but Mm. when her husband takes their daughter to the doctors Mm. which happens quite regularly because she gets upset when her daughter's upset so he tends to do those tasks for her he will always someone will always make a comment in the waiting room oh where's the mother yeah where's it where's her mom you know like whether it's somebody older or just having an opinion because it's like oh something must be wrong if it's just the dad doing this very motherly task yeah which is shit yeah, yeah it's messed up 
I just think society also lies to women about parenthood. I think there's this expectation, because there's this expectation of a mothering instinct that you are just going to automatically love it. You're going to love everything about motherhood. You're going to love being pregnant, even though it's hard, you know, it's going to be great. And then they don't tell women how horrible pregnancy is, and especially how horrible it is after you've had a baby like this is just stuff that's covered up like what your body goes through it's just like proper horrific and no one warns women about what they're going to deal with in the the weeks months years after they've had a child they get no support they sort of just you've had the baby now you're on your own and i don't think it prepares the men either for what women are going through it's always like oh she's so brave and she's so beautiful and it's like well she's gone through a massively traumatic event and i think maybe We just need to be more honest about that, right? Yeah, Yeah. and then, like, it ties into a lot of kind of structural societal things. So, like, to what extent in New Zealand, it's come up in um, the press recently, to what extent childbirth trauma-related injuries are covered by ACC. So, how do I explain ACC? (laughs) ACC is, like, accident compensation. So, in New Zealand, if you, like, fall over on, on the street or have a workplace accident or, you know, just, like, we're going for a walk and, like, broke your ankle. Like, ACC covers you. Mm-hmm. And that includes tourists. So if you yeah. injure your ankle, it's So, like, if you needed... Obviously, any of that healthcare would be covered. If you need time off work, like, 80% of your wage is covered. Mm. Like, you know, it covers that kind of stuff. And But for a long time, majority of childbirth injuries weren't covered under that, like, accident compensation. And they're trying to change that now. So, you know, even structurally, like, that's dismissive, right? It's being mm. like, well, it's not even an important thing for you to even be because covered by that. women for so long have not even spoken about that. This is, like, mm. the trauma that women don't discuss out loud because you're a woman and therefore it just comes part and parcel. Like, it's stuff like, also miscarriages. You know, women yeah. just don't talk about that. This is just the mm. secret shame that a woman lives with, this horrible thing that has happened to her. Until very recently, no one would ever have mentioned it. Yep. And it's like... Why? It's not, you're not a failure as a woman. This is not something that you have, you've not messed up. This is a horrible thing to have happened. And, you know, just because you're having a tough time with a pregnancy or because you're having a tough time even after you've had the baby, that doesn't mean you're a failure as a woman. It's just, you're a human being. Exactly. And so, yeah, this, like, like the point you make, this pressure of, you know, oh, it's just this natural thing that women will do is have children and just have this amazing, blissful pregnancy. You'll be glowing. Yeah. And then you'll just have a beautiful, natural, pain medication-free, you know, non-interventionist birth. Once you have the baby, yeah. those hormones will just flood your body and you'll love it and everything will be fine as soon as mm. you set eyes on your little bundle of joy. But that doesn't always happen. No. So yeah. don't tell people that. It's messed up. And even if it does happen, from an outside perspective, I don't have children, but like parenthood is work. Like, even if you have a fantastic, you know, even if you have have a good, easy pregnancy, you know, a a non-traumatic birth and labor experience, it's still fucking work. Like, And you see people make this mistake when they have one child and it's like an easy birth, it's an easy child, you know, sleeps in the night immediately, all these things. And then they're like, oh, we'll have another one. And it's like the demon spawned from hell. It's like, oh, we've made a terrible mistake. Because you don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know that you're going to like your child. You just don't know that. This is a big thing that I think of a lot. Yeah. No. Oh, mate, there's so much to talk about. I just want to say, you see this straight away, this expectation that women are maternal in this episode, because Rose comes out, she hears this child, are you my mummy, from the the top of the roof, and she immediately is like, yes, I will go and investigate. She has this 
it's like I feel like it's painted like a very strong maternal instinct. Like, of course, Rose is gonna go and investigate. Yeah, and the doctor just like wanders off and is totally ignoring her. And yeah. then Rose is not. Don't. Yeah, don't let her wander off. I know, I know. Or just like fucking communicate. This pisses me off so much when they don't try and communicate and people get themselves into these situations, right? Yeah. So just be like, hey, doctor, like actually go and talk to him and be like, there appears to be a child in distress. I will pursue the call. However, if I don't come back, come and look for me. Like, Ugh. Yeah, no, I agree. And but then she clutches a random rope and turns out that she gets dragged. So can we do, let's segue to that for fuck's sake. It's into my random <laughs> observations. Hanging from a rope from a barrage balloon. Her upper body strength. I, I would be dead in seconds. I've got no I'd be like, body. no, as soon as this happens, you know, in films and thrillers, people's hanging off a building. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, right, that would be me gone. Yeah, when people have to pull themselves up a oh, window like, ledge. Lol. I can't even do a single pull up. <laughs> I'm always like, yep, dead immediately. 100%. <laughs> and that whole bit sets up why she's wearing a hideous t-shirt yeah, with the Union, Union flag Jack. on it. Yeah, because it's like, well, they need her to have it emblazoned across her chest during the blitz. What is that line? Are you sure about that t-shirt? Too early to say. I'm taking it out for a spin. Like, yeah. they're just so on the nose. There's, they get a lot They get a lot out of that t-shirt through the, like, later on, the problematic line, I want to find a blonde in a Union Jack. A specific one. <laughs> I mean, Jack is, like, horrifically sexual <laughs> harassing. <laughs> no, yeah. No, yeah, okay. Like when um, he's zooming yeah. in on her butt, and he's no, like, I know, which like, at the time was like, yeah, lol. But now that would not, like, that would not have made it into the episode. No, but then it's like kind of nicely undercut where he's also sexually harassing a man. So it's like, yeah, yeah equal, equal opportunity. opportunities, fucks now. <laughs> equal opportunity harasser. Harasser. Yeah. Oh, sidebar on the union jack top again. Why? There seems to be literally no rhyme or reason to when they decide to wear period-appropriate clothes. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole Welsh episode, they had this big drama about getting Rose into that, like, corseted... Booby dress. Yeah, whereas, like, obviously the Doctor just wears normal clothes. But I feel like the thing in this app, like, the Doctor doesn't actually know where they are again. This mm. continuing bit of the TARDIS just, like, Turn literally off. runs its own ship. Mm. And, yeah, so she's just wearing totally modern 2005 clothes and... Yeah, in the 40s, which you would think would be quite noticeable. Not commented on at all. No. It's the war, though. Yeah, I mean, weird shit's happening. I do love so. that bit where the, the like, you know, oh, family like... is running into the shed. He's like, blooming Germans, don't you eat? I'm like, that's so English. Yeah, no, it is. Don't and also, the, when he when he does the weird, like, goes into the, like, bar, and then it's like, I'm looking for something that fell from the sky, and everyone's, ha, 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 because all those bombs... <laughs> God, I had to blink. Google what a barrage balloon was because I was like, I don't know what this is. Okay. Because, yeah, did not, obviously, not familiar no, with yeah, the Blitz, in, really. In, in 1990s South Africa, I feel like you didn't come across them. We had our own problems <laughs> in 1990s South Africa. Oh my God. That we were dealing with. <laughs> anyway. I do love that Rose is just, like, totally stunned by Jack. Like, she says hello twice. You know, she's just yeah, like... Yeah, so this uh, is really interesting. Okay, so... I feel like we're jumping all over the show, but let's get to that bit. We might as well. Um, we're 30 minutes in. My, oh shit, wow. That time, time flew when you have a rant. <laughs> um, so my subtitle in my notes is lots of general flirtiness. Mm. So Rose and Captain Jack, obviously. Which is really interesting because I feel like, I mean, not that everyone has to like have a type, but that Rose is so magnetically attracted to Jack. I'm like... Hmm. I, don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Just yes, vibes. And then she's, I'm pretty sure she says it when she says, kind of boyfriend. Mm-hmm. 
Nikki? Yeah, on her psychic paper, I think it was. Yeah. And he, Jack says, you sort of have a boyfriend, but you consider yourself footloose and fancy free. Actually, the word you use is available and very. Oh, yeah. I Which mean, I'd you've like... talked about this before, the whole, like, pretending that Mickey doesn't exist when, when it's convenient thing. Yeah, and I'd like to flag that because in the next episode that you'll be watching, yeah. this is going to be something I'm going to be complaining about a lot. Okay, so cool. stand by. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, and then, like, the Doctor and Rose and the dancing stuff. Yeah. And, like, that's getting, like, quite actually overtly romantic. Yeah. And it's like, is it just because he's having, like, weird masculine jealousy feels I do, towards yeah, Captain like, Jack? That line that's like, we were just dancing, and he's like, didn't look like dancing, didn't look like talking or something. Like yeah, that. I know. And then... So then it's like, well, you know, is the Doctor ramping up this kind of flirtiness because it, because Jack is there? Or is generally, like, his feelings for Rose growing? Or, yeah. like, it's I get this vibe of, like, Rose just between these two men who are both kind of into her. And then it's just, like, it's an odd dynamic. I think. I can't, my poly vibes want to be, like, let's have a threesome. <laughs> I mean, like, I think Jack would be like, down with it. Like, this would be a great triad. Like, everyone just likes each other. Jack's like... obviously into the Doctor as well, so, like, it works. But there is a bit, like, I feel like the Doctor is quite insecure. Like, there's a little bit of dick swinging in this. You know, the sonic blaster versus the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Like, that bit do... went on for way too long. Okay, but I do love the line who's like, who looks at a screwdriver and thinks this could be a little more Sonic? Iconic line. <laughs> yeah. Again, a point on that bit. They then sonic away the floor because Rose is the only problem solver in the team. Felt, I shit you not, 20 foot. <laughs> and there's not a single broken ankle. Like, suspension <laughs> of disbelief. Not a scratch on them. <laughs> no, literally. Like... They've got the TARDIS cushion. What is yeah. it, plot armour, as the kids call it? Yeah, I mean, like, Jack is just played up as a flirt the whole time like when he's talking about his executioners as well like lovely couple stayed in touch <laughs> yeah. which is cool I like that they're playing with this again in prime time kids viewing yeah it is quite nice like it is it, it's kind it of it was revolutionary for its time I think I don't remember the flack it got but I'm sure it got a bit of flack you would assume so but I didn't bother I mean it's probably on the internet still but it can be fucked too I mean it was what like 2005 so yeah I would have cons- assumed it would have been yeah. quite controversial conservo TV men would have had opinions. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like, I love that you use this euphemism of dancing throughout the whole thing yeah, yeah, when yeah. the doctor's like, relax, he's a 51st century guy. He's just a little bit more flexible when it comes to dancing. Because, like, Rose is shocked by Jack's dancing. behavior, right? Like, yeah, he's, yeah. He's flirting with everyone. I thought it was just me. You're not special, Rose. Sorry. Ooh, Jack doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jack does not care. No, he doesn't. Mm, interesting. I also just love when Jack gets into the TARDIS and he's like the classic, much bigger on the inside, and the Doctor looks at him and he says, you'd better be. I kind of love that calling out of like the Doctor's expectations of Jack, but also like Jack has genuine pathos in this episode, you know, yeah. when he's like, I hurt no one, like he's a con man, but it was a victimless crime, you know, like it's, I find it very emotive, I think it really works, I think it's good writing, other than the fact that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, and like you say, there's some problematic kind of vibe yeah. from Jack in like a bit of a it's a bit sexual predator way. Yeah. But like at the lower end of the spectrum, I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but it's also, it's also like, like could be worse. Yeah, I yeah. think if we read it in the time that it was produced, I think it works. And I just think like, I love the pace of it. I love the, the zingers. Like it's got really good dialogue. It's got some really good sci-fi credentials, I think as well. You've got the Spock references. I feel like there's a couple of Star Wars references. Also, 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 can I just say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it has Gaius from Merlin in it. And he's the doctor, you know, the, the Oh, teacher. the old guy. No, I know yeah. him from being, like, in One Foot in the Grave. Like, oh, a yeah. Really, yeah, like, but, but also, the hospital is Albion Hospital, so I'm like, it's Gaius working in Albion Hospital. Even though BBC's Merlin only came out in 2008. So was this 
I don't know, yeah, Predicting yeah. the future? I don't know. <laughs> Cute. Just saying. Yeah. Love me a bit of Merlin. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, I think yeah. it's interesting that I was, when I was doing some reading, I mean, very arbitrary reading about women and motherhood, and there's this line about how people who question and subvert traditional gender roles, especially women who reject the role of parent, are often perceived as threatening. And this is how often women and, you know, non-conforming people of various ilk get ostracized is because you are viewed as a threat, because if you're not conforming to the status quo, Mm. then how can they control you? And I feel like a lot of this, like, expectation for women to have kids is about control, because what what hampers you more, what ties you down more than having a life that you're responsible for? Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. I think I would kind of expand on that with, like you said before, like no one gets more shitty towards the child-free accounts than the parents. Mm -hmm. Because, and I found this like on a very micro level, being vegetarian, (laughs) that equally people get real defensive. Like, when I say I'm veggie, they'll often be like, oh, oh, I'm trying to eat less meat. Or Mm -hmm. it's like, cool, I don't give a shit, mate. You live your life. But they feel like it becomes an attack on their choice. So if you're like, I'm proudly child-free or... You know, when I have chats with parents and they're like, why are you not sure if you want kids? And I'll be like, well, there's some big kind of cons for me, like sacrifice of my time, reduction of my freedoms, both in time and also like financially because mm-hmm. there's the cost of children and being concerned about whether I would be objectively a good parent, whether I think it's responsible to bring children into our current world with what's going on and mm-hmm. potential futures under climate issues, etc., etc. Like, and pretty quickly you know, parents will get a bit like, oh, well, you know, like, there's always something bad going on. You just have to. And it's like, cool, I don't, this wasn't, an op- I wasn't trying to get you to defend your choices. Yeah. <laughs> like, but. but yeah. They'll often try and convince you as well. Mm. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in being convinced. There's no way that I'm being convinced. But they'll always like, oh, but, you know, this, and you'll change your mind. And it's weird how they always, like, our choices do not invalidate your choices. You've made a choice. And it, when you are so defensive, it makes me feel like you are not happy with your choice. Like, why do you feel yeah. the need to come out swinging like this? Like, it's just, it's a Because they feel proportion. attacked by just me choosing a different path. Yeah. Wherein I'm not in a, you know, I'm not in a um, overtly aggressive position. But like you say, the default becomes then that it's threatening. Yeah. Because it's threatening to their choice, which they felt is right or potentially maybe regret. That's what I always think. But also there's just this expectation of how as a woman you're going to behave. And if, because I often say that I'm not maternal. People find that, especially male colleagues, find that very weird. Like, they don't really know what to do with me because they just think that you're going to behave in a certain way. Mm. So, for example, when people bring babies into the office, I do not want to bar of that. I do not want to hold your baby. I do not want to see your baby. I don't care. I'm sorry. I just don't. Like, I don't yeah. feel anything. Mm. I'm like, do you want to hold a baby? No, fuck off. Yeah. I've got two friends whose kids I like, and that's fine. Like, this mm. expectation that you're just going to, oh, can you watch the child? Why? I have zero credentials at looking after children. Why yeah. are you leaving your kid with me just because, because I'm a woman? Because you're female. It's a mistake. Yeah. You're making a mistake. That child is now going to go <laughs> rob a bank with me. So that's on you. Like, I just, it's very strange, this idea that just because of how you present, there's this expectation about how you're going to behave. And then, like, it becomes this thing about people thinking, you know, you feel broken in a way. Like, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with you. Because you're not living up to this gendered role, this expectation that they have for you. And that fucking sucks. Especially if, you know, you're not cis, especially if you're Mm. maybe trans or non-binary as well. But maybe 
present or pass in a certain way and yeah. so people are making assumptions based on that and it's like no you don't fucking know me and i genuinely do think it's because for so long women couldn't say these things we couldn't have these conversations you couldn't mm. say this stuff out loud because there was only like one role it was the church yeah. or motherhood become a wife or go into the nunnery you know like these were your options so you couldn't really talk about this and i think a lot of women feel this way and i just don't think we've had enough conversation and now we see more people wanting to be child free and people act like it's such a it's such a shock and, you know, humanity's going to die out. Like, no, that will not happen. And also, so fucking what? Like, I don't know. I'm a bit of a nihilist sometimes, but I'm like... Well, you know David Attenborough in his Netflix documentary has that great line about, like, one of the reasons for overpopulation is actually people not feeling secure and not having the proper resources and the proper, like, healthcare and all these things. And if, if people lived in a secure society, they're less likely to have loads of children. Well, and because you're not trying to, like we talked about before, you're not trying to create your own welfare state. Yeah. You're not trying to fight horrific infant mortality because you know so, if you have ten children, five will die. Like, Which is exactly the problem with like this pro-life movement in the States, right? It's like if you genuinely cared about life, you would make life good for people. And like the society that you have created is not good for, for people. So fix that first before you encourage people to have children. And that's like this kind of, we need utopia, people. I know. Anyway. So yeah. Motherhood. I'm not on board. I'm happy for my friends who are parents. Like, they seem to really love it. But also I have friends who legit regret having kids. And this is the absolute core point, and I think we can tie this back to the episode, is choice. The vibe that we get from Nancy is that she didn't have a choice. Mm. Like, she got pregnant un- you know, as a teenager, unmarried. I would like to bet a large sum of money that termination wasn't an option for her. Definitely not a safe one. Mm-hmm. So she pursued the pregnancy but then through social and probably familial pressure had to hide that and had to make up this fiction to raise her child as her sibling Mm. because she didn't have any choices yeah and that fucking sucks but even i feel like she even didn't have a choice to admit that like the, the doctor not through any fault of his own but he sort of forces her into admitting it and like having this big confession and her when they like solve the riddle and yeah. the nanogenes and the zombie things and and like her yeah. catharsis in that moment is part of the resolution of the, the main conflict of the episode right but that's not her choice she doesn't mm. choose to tell this kid she's getting that, outed as the mother yeah so it's kind of like nancy never has choice Anything, everything happens to her. She never has any control of her own destiny. Yeah. It's pretty shit. Which I feel is like quite a common thread through Stephen Moffat's stories is women having things happen to them that is not their choice. So, you know, we can look forward to that when we get into mm. his Let's tenure. Unpack, yeah, unpack his feelings around women and agency. Um, okay, so I think we'll, we'll move onwards to our standout moments and you've kind of you've spoiler alerted a couple oh, of mine dear, mate, with your dear, dear. amazing quoting of dialogue I just love so you go first i feel like we've um, got the same ones i really love the kind of star wars references in this so you know there's that moment where like rose is like the bomb and the doctor's like taking care of it rose is like how and he says psychology because he's like worked on jacks mm. you know pulled on his heartstrings to get him to take action which is like exactly like what they do with han solo at the end of New Hope, like he runs away and he's like, no, no, he'll come back and yeah, he shoots, saves the day basically. And also the bit where it's like good to know the numbers, which again was that Han Solo moment where Han is like, he never wants to know, never tell me the odds, he never wants to know the numbers. So I kind of love that kind of sci-fi credentials that you see in this. It feels like a very sci-fi episode considering that it's set on Earth and it's set in the Blitz. So it's like a very human story, but it's got that like real sci-fi twist, which I really enjoy. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, 
What about you? What's your standout moment? So I actually have a couple. So one of them is just amazing li- one-liners. So you already said one. Rose, I'm trying to resonate concrete. So <laughs> a creepy one. The doctor. Life's easy. Nature's way of keeping meat fresh. And then Rose, like, trying to, A, impress Captain Jack and also, like, come across as super knowledgeable when she's like, nice blast pan. (laughs) It's like, cool, Rose. Yeah. All right, mate. I love that she she tries so hard, right? But even Jack, like, at one point is like, so your companion, does he handle the business? Because they're, like, just talking at cross purposes. Yeah. Yeah, so just some cracking dialogue. Um. Also, I don't think we can, we would be completely remiss to not discuss Captain Jack riding a bomb. The classic. Riding yeah. a bomb, yeah. trapped in a tractor beam. Just yeah. straddle it to John Barrowman. They were like, just straddle it. It's fine. We'll fix it in post. Just <laughs> straddle the bomb. No, a bit more intimately. <laughs> I feel like maybe not the first time he's heard that. He's straddled a bomb. <laughs> Isn't that his Doctor Strange love? Reference as well, like I feel like that's a Doctor Strange love reference, but I don't know. Yeah, so just some amazing scenes. Great, love it, love yeah. it. Yeah. And like iconic, you know, Jack and his army coat, which becomes a whole thing. Yeah, he makes everything look good. I feel like he can kind of pull off. It's that classic styling. It's mm. that like he's from the fifty first century, but he's gives off the vibe of like a nineteen forties airman, a GI. Mm. Yeah. No, he's definitely got. It's weird because, yeah, he's from the future, but he's, like, such a classically what you would consider a leading man. Like, you know, from yeah, yeah. Cary Grant sort of style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm, intriguing. What's he doing now? Don't I googled know. him to find out when he was born so I could work out how old he was. Um, but he's gone completely grey now, which is nice. Love her. Uh, yeah. You know I love a silver fox. Is he tall? You love him tall. <laughs> Have you seen the newly pace photos? Holy shit, let me show you after this. Oh, my God. The arms, the thighs. Six foot five, um, and like I he's want just to like climb just like a tree, like <laughs> specimen. We probably have to cut most of that out. No, we, we can just, leave it. We leave. No, this is the Lee Pace appreciation. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes. Honestly, the really fucking lovely Pace, guys. Um, if you've not seen it, Apple TV Foundation. You love sci-fi. Get on it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> just need a just a cool down. Whew. So next week we'll be discussing episode eleven. The problematically titled Boomtown. <laughs> and regarding anything, let us know your thoughts by emailing own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Jen is doing a cracking job, I would say, of managing our Instagram. It is 100% her. She is managing the online channels. Online channels. And check out the show notes for links and for all the references that we have discussed in this app. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.